one extra dollar on a movie ticket is kind of an interesting subject because anybody who's a frequent moviegoer is either aware of that and is going to pay it anyway, or they're really maybe not even paying attention. This is a very industry specific type of news that I don't think the average consumer was probably aware of going into Batman and they probably just assumed this is the price of a movie ticket now. Welcome to the Box Office Podcast. I'm Rebecca Polly, Deputy Editor of Box Office Pro, the only publication in North America exclusively dedicated to the movie theater industry. Uh, joined today by Daniel Aria, Editorial Director of Box Office Pro, and our Chief Analyst, Sean Robbins. Um, we have a, a lot of things to talk about today. Obviously, uh, we have the first weekend box office performance of the Batman, uh, which we're going to dive into in a few minutes, as well as some interesting news from AMC. Uh, but first, Daniel, I, I want to touch base on here briefly uh, the evolving humanitarian crisis that is taking place in the Ukraine right now. What have been the ramifications on this uh, on this crisis on the global cinema industry? No, of course, as you mentioned, Rebecca, it's been an extremely difficult time here geopolitically because of the horrible tragedy evolving in the Ukraine right now with Russia's invasion of the country. Uh, this is a cinema podcast that we are going to be covering this from the business perspective on how it is impacting exhibition and distribution there. Obviously, we're talking about a situation where the movie theater industry is the last thing that anyone in Ukraine or Russia is thinking about. We have seen statements of support from global trade associations like the Motion Picture Association, which represents a number of major studios and streamers here in the U.S. and Unique, the trade association representing cinemas across Europe. Both those trade groups uh, releasing statements last week in support of Ukraine calling for peace, calling for an end to this invasion. We've seen major Hollywood studios and even streaming companies like Netflix suspend all their business operations in Russia while this situation unfolds. As a publication strictly focused on the cinema industry, obviously our coverage of this is going to be evolving as, uh, as we get more updates that are relevant to share on this side. And you can find those updates on our website, boxofficepro.com, as they become available. Uh, moving on, because we, we do have to look at the entire global picture here of what's going on in the cinema industry. We have some updates from the biggest exhibitor in the world, Rebecca, with AMC announcing their 2021 results in a recent earnings call. Absolutely, Daniel. And, and we're seeing here a steady recovery from the damage that uh, the pandemic did to the economic side of our business. In Q4 2021, the per patron revenue at AMC was actually higher than it was in Q4 2019. Uh, obviously, that was before the pandemic. Then we had Rise of Skywalker. So a good metric there. We're looking at a 53% increase in per patron revenue between Q3 and Q4 of last year. And no surprises here, Q4 2021 uh, per patron revenue was a 
about seven times higher uh, than it was in 2020. Daniel, what stuck out to me in this financial analysis was that the CFO of AMC specifically cited two things as uh, being critical to AMC's continued success, those being increased per patron F&B spend. And the popularity of premium formats was also name-checked as well as something that's been uh, really helpful in getting movie theater patrons back to the cinema. And those two aspects, Rebecca, are aspects that AMC has invested significantly over the last five years, signing an exclusivity deal with Dolby to bring in their Dolby Cinema format in AMC. If you want to watch something in Dolby Cinema, you can only do so at an AMC location in the United States. And F&B, we've seen a huge growth of their expanded concessions menu, not only from AMC, but premium formats and expanded menus. These are things that Exhibition at Large have really been adopting to get people back in theaters. Of course, there's one more element to this earnings call, and that is going to lead us into our weekend forecast segment with our chief analyst, Sean Robbins, to discuss what the impact of this was. Now, Rebecca, the big headline coming off of this situation was something called variable pricing. So before we bring in Sean to speak about that opening weekend box office, Rebecca, can you explain what variable pricing is? Basically, what we were looking at here is that AMC um, added a dollar surcharge to tickets for the Batman over this opening weekend. And, uh, you know, I'm really looking forward to hearing what Sean has to say on whether or how much that maybe impacted its its box office. You have the additional revenue, but also perhaps the negative press that, that goes along with it. Um, but first, you know, I'd like to just go into a little bit of context about this variable pricing thing. Namely, it's not really anything new that AMC has been doing. Um, variable pricing is something that's pretty standard in European markets including the ones uh, in which AMC operates. Uh, actually, pre-pandemic in 2019, the chain did do some experiments in, uh, you know, in a handful of U.S. markets with variable pricing, stating that if the experiment were successful, they would continue to roll it out. Obviously, uh, the pandemic put a kibosh on that. So I think, you know, it was definitely a headline. I don't think, you know, variable pricing here, it's nothing new. We see variable pricing all the time. A few years back, you know, AMC uh, lowered their prices on Tuesday and Tuesday went from the like one of the least visited day to the second most visited day. So really, it's just kind of a, a supply and demand adjustment of ticket pricing based on uh, how popular the movie is, what sort of seat you're in what time of day it is, what day of the week it is. That said, I do understand, Daniel, I mean, and, and we spoke about this offline when this uh, when this news came down the pike. Uh, you worry a little bit about the, the messaging component of it and potential customer confusion. Absolutely. I think anytime you talk about cinema prices, a lot of consumers will naturally just react, oh, they're more expensive, right? The, the industry has always had to deal with this impression of rising ticket prices, even though if we compare those prices against inflation, the reality is really quite distant. I think the evolution that we have right now is as supposed to where things were 10, 15, 20 years ago, where you had one general ticket price for most showtimes and most movies, you have multiple different ticket prices, some of them premium, like we've mentioned in premium large formats, some of them 
a little bit more affordable with those matinees, with those off-peak times, with those discount programs. Subscriptions play a part into the equation, making premiums more affordable for folks. This is a big part of AMC. Talking about the impact of all of this, let's bring in our chief analyst, Sean Robbins, because as we mentioned, Adam Aaron, the CEO of AMC, announces this during the quarterly investors call. Days later, the Batman opens at locations all over the country, including AMC. Sean, did we really see a backlash from fans around this decision to increase prices in the world's largest cinema circuit for the Batman? I really don't think there is any data to support that we saw anything like that. And I think it's great to bring up that this was a big headline. But ultimately, you know, as you point out, we've we've this is an industry that's dealt with rising ticket prices and and supposed backlash to that for a long time. I think the slight difference now is the fact that we are living in an inflation economy and consumers are expecting this from every industry, from everything they do, not just going to a movie, but buying chicken from the grocery store. Anything like that. So one extra dollar roughly or so on a movie ticket is kind of an interesting subject because what I I, I see happening right now is anybody who's a frequent moviegoer is either aware of that and is going to pay it anyway, or they're really maybe not even paying attention. This is a very industry specific type of news that I don't think the average consumer was probably aware of going into Batman and they probably just assumed this is the price of a movie ticket now. I'm, I'm sure they were more concerned about the cost of gas right. to the theater at this point. <laughs> That's such an important point you guys raise that this is, I think, also a reflection of rising consumer costs in all areas of life, especially as we get out of the pandemic. And that includes labor costs. And with AMC, the largest circuit in the nation and the world, saying in the U.S. theaters they're going to take one title and increase the average ticket price by $1 during opening weekend. There were some concerns of, hey, does this push moviegoers in the opening weekend of the Batman to another circuit? Does it hurt the box office? We saw this movie open up to $134 million domestically from 4,417 screens. Sean, how does that number line up with those opening weekend expectations? Do you think consumers shied away because of a situation like this? I really don't. If if consumers were shying away from this movie, it, it had a lot more to do with factors that we did discuss in the last few weeks. This is the reboot of a character that's been rebooted a couple of times now in the last decade. It's a very dark film. It's a very long film. I think these were <laughs> far more top of mind for most people going to see this movie than than anything to do with ticket prices at this stage. Overall, you know, for for our forecast that this came in on the the lower end but we were very bullish. So this is still a great opening. I think it's also interesting to point out, this is the first non-Disney film to open over $100 million since Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom in 2018, nearly four wow. years. Oh, wow. Four years. So we're not, we had been talking about this as only the second $100 million opening of the pandemic following, of course, Sony's Spider-Man No Way Home. But really, there hasn't been much of a track record, like you mentioned, outside of Disney, four years that we've seen this. Gosh. Yeah, it's 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 a statistic I really didn't even think about until recently. But going back and, and looking at it, it's both impressive in terms of how many films Disney has achieved that with, but also surprising that no other studio has gotten there outside. Of course, you know, we're excluding Sony because 
Marvel Studios and Spider-Man No Way Home. That's that is a giant right. asterisk right there. That's a that's a that's a collaboration right. there with without that Disney Marvel Cinematic uh, Universe collaboration, we're not sure that the Spider-Man title would have reached those heights, let alone a hundred million dollar opening week. Exactly. I do enjoy that this happens on the first, you know, major tentpole release that Warner Brothers has had since their days of day and date on uh, HBO Max. (laughs) Lesson learned, we can say, right? Yeah. The first Warner Brothers title to have theatrical exclusivity since Christopher Nolan's Tenet in 2020. In its opening weekend alone, this movie makes more money than the entire theatrical runs of every single title they release domestically in 2021 that went day and date. I mean, the proof is in the pudding here. Sean, what are your reactions from this Warner Brothers experiment on 10 Pulse alone now that we have a theatrical exclusive counterpoint to compare them to? So I think this really underlines what we've come to expect over the last year and a half by seeing a number of Warner Brothers films release and a couple of them have decent openings, but then the legs are never there. They tend to fall off a cliff because people are aware that they're streaming at home. Warner Brothers is now back to normality, or at least as close to normality as things have been in a while. A 45-day window is obviously going to be very different from the 90-day window, but we've also discussed how that really might not have a major impact on box office returns. And I think this opening, in particular for this film, sets that up because there's not a lot of competition coming this month, and word of mouth is really strong. So, you know, to come off of a $134 million weekend with essentially three weeks with zero competition ahead of it and a, a character that everybody loves and is kind of discovering again with this new vision. I think this is a great way for Warner brothers itself, as well as the rest of the industry to kick off what's really increasingly looking like a normal year. Once we hit spring and summer. I mean, I'll definitely be one of those people seeing it on the second weekend due to that word of mouth. You know, I was kind of unsure as to whether to see it, uh, heard great things. What are your expectations for the second weekend drop? Is there, I mean, it's such an unusual situation for a variety of reasons, which is weird to say about a Batman movie because there have been like 15 of them. Yeah. But um, I would imagine, well, still bullish because there's no competition really. I think that's the biggest challenge is looking at this movie as a very adult driven comic book film. Uh, to that end, I, I look at movies like Logan and Joker. They're the two standout comparisons in my mind. Logan dropped about 57% in its second weekend, but it also faced Kong Skull Island five years ago. And then Joker dropped 42%. I, I think something something between those two is reasonable for the Batman because we also have to consider that Warner Brothers included Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday previews in that opening weekend number. So when we see the Friday number come out this weekend, it might initially look like a steep drop. But I think once Saturday and Sunday hit and really the days and weeks after that, this thing really has a lot of room for legs, especially because of that adult appeal. I think I think some of those audiences are going to come out and and try to discover, you know, what this this new Batman movie they're hearing about is all about. And that word of mouth that Rebecca mentions, I think, is going to be critical, uh, as you guys have been talking about, in gauging how this legs out. Uh, the pluses and the minuses are there. The minuses, it's three hours long. You can't really dedicate as many show times. But the plus here is, as you mentioned, Sean, there's really nothing else for the next three weeks. Forget about the show times. You can book this in multiple screens because even looking at this weekend, there's not a single new release on the schedule. You can keep basically the same footprint that you had in that opening weekend for this title. So I think once we look at these nuances in the schedule, that three hour runtime, that's less of a factor than we originally imagined. We have to talk about word of mouth uh, as well. Rebecca mentioned 
She wasn't planning on seeing it. She heard great things. You're going with your boyfriend back to see it. Well, he saw it and he came out and said, I definitely want to see it again. So let's pick a day and we'll do it. And that's that's so that's so critical, right? Those repeat viewings. We we talked about this on last week's episode, Sean, when we looked over the entire box office history of the Batman franchise. You get the big numbers when you get fans to show up twice. From my perspective, guys, I actually saw this at an AMC location, like we had mentioned. I wanted to see this in a Dolby Atmos format. I heard a lot about Matt Reeves getting involved with the sound design of this title. It sounds fantastic in an Atmos auditorium. Dolby Atmos is available in many, many circuits all over the nation, all over the world. Uh, That immersive audio experience I thought was really, really good. And when we look at that impact on a circuit by circuit level of that $134 million opening, eight of the 10 highest grossing locations in North America for the opening weekend of the Batman were AMCs. So we're seeing right now from consumers when it came from opening weekend, they had their pick of knowing, well, some of them at least, that they might pay a little bit more. And they did so anyway. And this is a movie that the studio also says earned 30% of its opening gross from premium screens. So I think that also speaks to the fact that these built-in prices might still be worth it. I mean, we've seen for a long time now how much more willing audiences are willing to pay for IMAX and for Dolby and for RPX and for ScreenX. These are built-in added value experiences. I feel like between the success of this film and Spider-Man No Way Home, box office podcast and the wider cinema industry is maybe entering its I told you so era, which has been (laughs) a a long time coming. We get to take a couple victory laps, but of course, (laughs) with the caveat that there are some bad habits here that I think we have to watch out for. We're right now having one big major tentpole every quarter and not much in between. I think things like event cinema, diverse programming, mid-range titles, that's going to be a little bit more important to focus on to make sure we have consistent movie going in these lulls between these major uh, blockbusters. Right. To put a pin on this variable pricing conversation, because I think it is frankly something that a lot of exhibitors in the United States are looking at, are considering, variable doesn't always mean higher. It means sometimes it's higher, sometimes it's lower. In the case of AMC, We're seeing this being instituted during Adam Aaron's tenure as CEO of the company. Adam Aaron, his two prior jobs as a CEO came from industries that employ variable pricing successfully and fans don't really mind. He was the CEO of the Philadelphia 76ers in the NBA, where guess what? A playoff game is going to cost more than a regular Tuesday game during the season, right? And... A premium ticket, let's say a luxury box, is going to cost a lot more than the last row that I usually sit at when I ever go see basketball. Team nosebleeds. Team nosebleeds. The nosebleeds, right? (laughs) Now, that's instituted in sports. We have a very similar analogous situation there with premium games and premium seating coming in at different pricing structures. Before that, for 10 years, Adam Aaron was the chairman and CEO of Vail Resorts. That industry, the ski resort industry, operates in the exact same way. You're going to charge a little bit more for that ski pass, that snowboard pass, on a weekend in January than you would late into the spring or early into the fall. Variable pricing is something that we've seen in many other industries. It's something that Adam Aaron, as a chief executive officer, has successfully instituted 
in his other companies and in these industries now going over for more than two decades. The interesting question here is who else follows suit in the United States when it comes to variable pricing? And are we ever going to see audiences legitimately push back against this effort? In my opinion, as long as you limit this to specific tent poles that mitigate the raised prices, I don't think it's going to be a discernible impact. But of course, numbers will tell us where this goes in the future. Yeah, I mean, especially now as we exit the pandemic, and I think it's, you know, the entire industry has re-realized the importance of creating movie-going habits among consumers that maybe they may have lost, of getting younger people to come back, of getting families to come back consistently. Um, I mean, variable pricing continuing to maybe take certain movies on the lower side. I mean, I think if and on well, it could really reinvigorate movie going. Now, let's go back to that word of mouth point uh, that is bringing you to the movies to see this title, Rebecca. Sean, we actually got to see this uh, last weekend. What were your early reactions of the film and how do you think this will play out in that critical word of mouth holdover phase that's about to enter. I personally really enjoyed it. I've longed to see the detective-centric version of the Batman for a long time. I think it was touched upon in the Dark Knight films, particularly the Dark Knight, but it was not a central focus of Nolan's films. Uh, to that end, I still have to say Nolan's films are very near and dear to my soul, so it's hard to compare anything else to them, but going into this one with an open mind and and just kind of enjoying the character and the mythology as a whole it really has something new to say. At the same time, there are very obvious things that you have to have in a Batman movie and certain lines of dialogue that will ring true, I think, for anybody who has ever seen a Batman movie. But the way it's done within the spirit of the character is is fantastic. And I can't, I can't wait to see what Reeves has to do in the next film. For me, Reeves did such a fantastic job in this assignment. What I can tell you guys, you've probably noticed this and our listeners have as well, when a superhero movie has a superhero vi fighting some sort of super alien with like laser eyes or like tentacles, it's really hard for me to get too involved in something. Like when like just like ghosts show up with like knives, it's it's really tough for me to, to sort of like. <laughs> it's a very specific. Do you remember, you remember that summer? <laughs> that summer when every other movie had some big like blue beam of light going up into the sky. How did you yeah. make it through that? I, it's really difficult for me to to get into something like that. So when, I, I had my reservations coming into I, as I have with every superhero movie. I had that coming into the Batman, but starting with that opening shot, which is a direct homage to Michael Powell's Peeping Tom, right? Having this oh, whoa, point really? of view camera. Oh yeah, when you watch okay. it, you're going to see that DNA there. Matt Reeves as a filmmaker, really going into his education, really going into his roots of what interests him and putting that into what really isn't, like you say, Sean, a superhero movie. It's more a detective story. It's more a mystery that just happens to be solved by a guy wearing a ridiculous cape and outfit. I really, really responded to that as soon as I saw that opening shot that had that DNA to a great auteur-driven thriller like Peeping Tom. I knew I was in for something that I was going to enjoy. Sean, another thing I picked up on here is that the way the supervillain behaves in this movie is very similar to that stalking nature that you saw Matt Reeves take on in his adaptation of Let the Right One In. The movie Let Me In actually follows a lot of the stylistic decisions that the Batman ends up employing. So it was really interesting to see this director 
go back to the well to the 1960s to take this iconic film and take some hints of inspiration for that into this new superhero movie and even go back a couple of years to his own filmography to some of those lessons that he picked up on adapting another well-known work into its own new iteration he does that so successfully in this movie for me sean this is probably my favorite batman movie since the dark knight i really really enjoyed this title and i i would recommend it to people that don't even like super no 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 what about lego batman i'm I'm gonna lego batman (laughs) i I was gonna say lego batman is hands down my favorite take on the character i'm correct it's a masterpiece i i committed the sin that i called out russ for in last week's episode we cannot forget the best batman film ever made lego batman that's that one wins by far right Oh yeah, I mean that has that has everything, literally everything. Yeah. <laughs> All you need. That's the case if you throw everything and the kitchen sink at a movie and it works out well. Well, uh, I think I'm I am happy to wrap this episode up on uh, an appreciation of Lego Batman. What do we tra- what movie do we have next week? We, we, do, we don't have a. Few, there's nothing coming out. What can we talk about next weekend? Yeah, Sean, what's yeah. what's going on? Like, <laughs> are we really expecting another like? Uncharted Dog that they're still probably going to feature in the top three. Spider-Man in a week, a billion, is going to be in the top five. And this probably keeps number one. Any twist endings here? Any surprises that we can anticipate for this weekend at the movies? I really don't think so. Uh, If anything, this year is kind of shown when we have these slow weekends in terms of new releases. Things are fairly predictable. And to my knowledge, there's not really anything out there to compete with it. Football season is essentially over and... You know, if there's anything, it would be nice weather. Should that be a source of competition or maybe around the country? But I think at this point, we're, we're in that final stretch. This is March. This is a time when we're used to seeing a few more movies come out than will come out. But once we get to April, things really start to pick up the pace quickly with the release calendar. Here's something I think we do have to mention. It's not this weekend coming up, but next week. BTS, the K-pop super sensation band. They've got an event cinema release. Talking about variable pricing, expensive ticket. I think it's over $30 to get into a movie theater to watch this uh, this concert from the K-pop band BTS. I've been hearing from our exhibitor partners, they can't book it in enough screens. They are selling out on this title. We'll talk about that impact as soon as we get those box office numbers. Maybe not in the next week's episode, but definitely in the episodes ahead. We're going to need players like that. Just little surprise events coming in from alternative programming, mid-range titles to come help us out. Because like you guys, as much as I like these Batman movies, ooh, we <laughs> need something else to keep uh, people buying tickets. It is true. It's very true. Thank you once again for tuning into this episode of the Box Office Podcast. Uh, please do check in next Thursday where we will go over Batman's second weekend drops. Uh, thanks as always to Daniel and Sean and to the Box Office Company and Record Edit Podcast who co-produce this series. Thank you so much and have a great day. Thank you.